Oh, sorry. I'm a bit tired today. Um, Hi, Joe. How have on? What's going on? You tired? Sleepy, yeah. That's a great shirt you have on this week. Thanks. That's a new one. Yeah. No. No. I've worn it before, I think. Oh. I'm pretty sure. Um, so, here we are. Um, historic week, I suppose. I'm tired because of all of the bullshit I've had to wait, have to wait, mm. wade through every week, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, looking at the news, basically. The head lies. Head lies is a better term for it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's reached uh, it's reached fever pitch, like it's reached peak bullshit. Ah, you say that, no, no, but really. then next week you'll be surprised. It can't go any further. I mean, they're talk- I mean, there's, you know, um, I mean, okay, it wasn't in the mainstream, but it's reported like on social media and stuff that Xi Jinping was ousted on the coup. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Went viral yesterday on, on Tinet. Yeah, and what was the other thing? Uh, Putin, I think. Well, Putin's been ousted or nearly ousted multiple yeah, times. Yeah, or died there. several times this year. Yeah. But Xi, yeah, that was. That had some legs on it compared to the others. Yeah. This one was... It's been six days since he was seen in public. The other thing was the Iran, in Iran. Interesting, you know? Well, you mean the protest there? Well, but there were also reports that uh, the Iranian government have been... The Ayatollah. He, he was meant to be dead a few days, about a week right. ago. Uh, but I think there was something about the... Uh, in a similar vein as Xi that the Iranian government was had been removed or... Yeah, they've all been put on the Which house is interesting. Arrest. You know, I wonder where that comes from, you know? Uh, I wonder which sources that kind of bullshit propaganda comes from. Well, the sources that uh, are the best at propagating nonsense and lies. Fake news. Uh, and, also, uh, and, of course, the sources that are uh, who see Iran, China, Russia, etc. as their enemies. Well, so, who else does fake news but the fake news troll factory? Right. The New York Times told me that's... Uh, Based in Saint Petersburg, so is the Russians. The New York Times told you what? The no, Russians, the, the Russians troll, do a Russian the troll, troll factory. factory. Remember right. that yeah, special yeah, they had sure, years yeah. ago? Yeah. So no, yeah, um, they seem to do it sporadically, and they seem to do it more and more often. Um, it's obviously insane. It's really completely insane on the face of it. They know it's untrue. They do it anyway. That's called lying. Um, they know it's fake news. They do it anyway. No one gets any kind of reprimand or sanction for doing so. That's well, part of it. It's um, legitimate, like I've said. It's legitimate times. to lie about certain things. Well, at this point, it's legitimate to lie about anything that serves our interest. Mm. Anything we don't like, uh, any, anybody we disagree with, uh, call them names and lie about them. That seems to be, it's open season on that. It, there's, there's no accountability anymore. There's no, there's no restrictions on media. There's no restrictions on government officials anymore. It's it's It's... It's on, like it's fully acceptable to... to uh, and the thing about it is that's always been the case. You know, and I've said yeah, this yeah, before yeah. several times, is that in any kind of war, whether it's you know, propaganda war, information war, an actual kinetic war, or a low-grade war, low-intensity war, whatever, especially from the w- that the West is involved in or has an interest in, uh, it's always been... A po- and this goes back... I suppose it would go back as far as human history, but certainly in, in, the, in the modern era, uh, it's a legitimate part of military tactics yeah they have entire military uh, sections of the military dedicated to information war and by the 77th brigade, 77th in, the brigade UK in the UK is most well known recently but yeah. they, they had GCHQ sock puppetry right going on long before that right. that's just the UK I remember in the early 2000s there were a couple of mainstream reports about it which um, surfaced and then went away but 
we were, we were put on notice that immediately after 9-11, sock pup, what we call then sock puppets, what are now bots or trolls, was like a big, big thing for entire divisions. Like they have yeah. guys who sit, that's all they do. There's even after like 2006, end of the second Bush administration, they created a cyber warfare division. It's, it's got its own military insignia, etc. in mm-hmm. the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at one now, actually. Just uh, Britain's G- GCHQ to win cyber war on anti-vaccine propaganda. Of course, they spend, they spend, it, they spend all these things as, uh, as truthifying the lies, but that's not the case. They're telling their side of the story. Uh, and there's always two sides in, in, in any story, in any, in any conflict, in any war, there's always two sides, you know? Uh, uh, so... By definition, lies become a, a natural part of that. Uh, yeah. part of, and it's justified to tell lies. Uh, the fog of war. Um, For us, this has been a, a constant in the entire internet age mm-hmm. because we've been you know, aware of it and observed it. Um, maybe there is just something, though, to your opening observation that things are getting worse in the sense of how often they do it and how they do it. Just as a example to toss out there i noticed this week that an article published by the guardian eight years ago in 2014 mm-hmm. uh, authored by john pilger mm. kind of was doing the rounds again to as a reminder to people that you know this exact scenario was warned about i think the title of it they they ran with or accepted if john pilger wrote it was something like um it was the e- u.s what the U.S. is doing in Ukraine is leading Europe into war with Russia. Yeah, it's... Uh, so that, I'm simply saying here that the Guardian would run with that eight years ago. Yeah. Now, not a chance. Yeah. Uh, well, there was more to it that. If you just throw it up there, Scotty, that's, uh, that's it from... It's on the Guardian still today. In Ukraine, the U.S. is dragging... Uh, in, the, in, the, in Ukraine, the U.S. is dragging us, i.e. the Brits, okay. the West towards war with Russia, and then underneath is Washington's role in Ukraine, and its backing for the regime's neo-Nazis has huge implications. for Not in air quotes. No. Um, So eight years ago, that was fine. Uh, The Guardian, at least, of course, it's in the opinion section, but still, the Guardian was happy to stand by it because it was, you know, journalistically sound, the the, the claims made in the, uh, at least a reasonable you know, argument to make uh, as far as the Guardian is concerned that the U.S. was dragging the West, i.e. Europe, let's say in this case, into war with Russia, and uh, and that um, the regime, the Ukrainian regime at that time, because this was this was post uh, just post the coup, so it's reasonable to call a, a coup based or coup a, a government produced by a coup a regime uh, that there are neo Nazis uh, all over it basically. But uh, and that, well, suddenly that's not true anymore. And there's no evidence that it has changed since then, really. Nothing has changed. In fact, I mean, there's plenty of evidence that Zelensky banning other political parties, shutting down media organizations and stuff that are consistent with the idea of a regime uh, right up until very recently. So there's no, there's no evidence that that has changed since then, but the narrative has changed, and, mm-hmm. and, and therefore the headlines change, and neo-Nazis are removed. You don't talk about Ukraine having neo-Nazis. And you don't talk about the U.S. dragging, uh, deliberately dragging, using Ukraine to drag the West or, or Europe into war with Russia. And that's exactly what's happened. I mean, that's a very prescient article because it, it's exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. It, it years. There's one thing I quibble with. Um, in the interim, there was 
what Russia agreed with too, a reasonably free and fair election in Ukraine, whereby Zelensky won with 77% of the vote. Right. I'm only quibbling, though, because de jure, he ran on a manifesto of ending a peace, the yeah. civil war in the East. Yeah. Well, That's why he won in the landslide election. De facto, the regime remains, it's more proper to call it a regime, given that that term now means today a government that lacks legitimacy or authority uh, yeah. and has no real power to execute the will of the people it's supposedly representing. That's definitely still the case. Yeah. Um, there's actually, I mean, well, what it, what it suggests is, and, and again, there's, there's plenty of evidence for it, uh, is that... Uh, after the coup, because the coup was backed by, uh, you know, to, to a large extent orchestrated or pushed in a very particular direction uh, by the US in particular, um, afterwards, when that happens, when the US, and it's, I mean, you can look up a long list of coups that the US has been involved in. Who was the guy on, was it, I don't know if it was MSNBC or it might even been Fox News, one of the CIA guys, or, or one of the, I think it was one of the CIA guys talking about. Uh, yeah, he talked to Laura Ingraham. Right. Um, about we've not involved. Clapper. Uh, Wolsey. Wolsey. And James he, Wolsey. And he said, uh, he basically said to her that, you know, we know what a coup's like because we've been involved in, in quite a few ourselves. Right. So that's from the horse's mouth, but obviously you can look up, uh, there's freely available information on the number of coups that the US has actually orchestrated over the the past 60, 70 years, basically, and it runs the dozens and dozens in different countries around the world. And when that happens... He boasts about the one they did in Italy after World War II. Right. In that interview. Right. And obviously when that happens, you don't just have a coup and then walk away. You basically have some abiding or, you know, con continuing influence in the country and over the new, uh, the, 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 the new regime, let's, see, let's say, that you've, you've installed. So the fact that Zelensky came along and was voted, you know, you know, free and fair elections, doesn't really change the fact no. that since 2014 he was um, he was part of a, a government that had been taken over and, and largely at, at that point in 2019 was largely controlled by um, by the US by, by Western interests basically. And in fact, that's um, it's, it's seen um, uh, or it's, it's referenced that you know it's agreed upon, let's say, at least by. Uh, uh, someone who who is this person? It's um, just put it up there, Scotty. It's um, her name. Is, she's Fiona Hill, a veteran U.S. diplomat who served at the US, as U.S. National Security Council senior director for Europe and Russia in the Trump administration. And this is an article that she co-wrote with Georgetown University professor Angela Stent for Foreign Affairs magazine. Um, and she they're referencing the fact that um, the Russian-Ukrainian peace talks uh, there were peace talks in April, so like a couple of months or yeah, not even a couple of months, six weeks after the Russian invasion began, there were peace talks between Russia and Ukraine um, and they were conducted in good faith by the Russian side and, but the problem is that it was th those peace talks or any potential peace outcome was nixed by uh, by the West, by the US. If you just scroll down to um, the quoted, quoted part uh, according to multiple former senior US officials we spoke with uh, in April 2022, Russian and Ukrainian negotiators appeared to have tentatively agreed on the outlines of a negotiated interim, interim settlement. Russia would withdraw to its position of, on February 23rd when it controlled part of the Donbass region and all of Crimea, and in exchange, Ukraine would promise not to seek NATO membership. 
and instead received security guarantees from a number of countries. So then the, the next paragraph is, why did this deal fall through? And one answer could be that the former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, upon hearing about the settlement, flew to Kiev to tell Ukrainian President Zelensky that the West would not support such an agreement. So it's like, imagine you're in a country like and you're, you're at war with a major power and like, you know, your, your country's facing the threat of being destroyed and um, another representative from another country, thousands of miles away, flies in and says, uh, no, you're going to keep fighting uh, because we want you to. Um, Anyway, flew to Kiev to tell Ukrainian president that the West would not support such an agreement. And according to a May, 5, May 5th report in the Ukrainian online newspaper, Ukrainska Pravda, sources close to Zelensky said that Johnson's position was that the collective West now felt that Putin was not really as powerful as they had previously imagined and that there was a, pre- a chance to press him. They went on to say that three days after Johnson left for Britain, Putin went public and said that talks with Ukraine had turned into a dead end. So, of course, you know, this is opportunistic uh, money-making, first and foremost, from war, because war is a racket, and people um, and politicians uh, love a war, especially one that they're, you know, doesn't directly affect them, isn't on their territory, someone, you know, a war that they can have over there type thing, because fuel, you can funnel lots of weapons into it, sell lots of weapons to it, to, the different, to, to at least one of the parties, or maybe often both of them, make a shitload of money, and, uh, and no harm done. And out of the chaos and the destruction, you get, a, you know, sometimes you, very often you, you know, your companies, there's opportunities for your companies from your country after you've been fueling the war to go in there and, you know, get lucrative contracts to rebuild or to I, loot, loot what's left of the economy of the country that you have to destroy. Um, mm-hmm. That's the reality of the situation, you know, and it's just talking about the peak lies in the media and and very strange are not strange, but shockingly detached from reality, the opinions that so many people, a lot of people have, at least on Twitter. I don't know if that's representative of most people. I think most people no, who aren't on Twitter maybe don't really have much of an opinion at all. The only ones who have an opinion are the ones on Twitter. But most people in the West, their opinion is, for me, shockingly naive and, and divorced from even common sense, just basic rational common sense, you know. They're whipped up into a frenzy, of anti-Russian, anti-Putin frenzy, and they cannot think or see anything rational at all. They're just waiting for the next news bite from the media, from the Western media, that tells them, you're on the right side, Putin's evil, Putin's failing, we're winning, get Putin, he's Hitler, yay, democracy, mm-hmm. or something like that. It's, it's like, it just blows my mind. I, I, I'm really at the point of just, like, divorcing myself from all these people, you know what I mean? I want a divorce, you know? So... Um, you want a, you want a referendum? A I want break, a, re- a breakaway referendum. I want a Russian, yeah, negotiated referendum <laughs> in, in in a lot of Western countries um, to break away from these people. Uh, so you want some of that there democracy, eh? I want some of that special Russian democracy, <laughs> sham democracy. I want a sham democracy. Said. Sham. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, at least they get a referendum. Yeah. Just who else gets one? The people Scots got one, but they rigged it. Yeah, and people in Europe. Uh, EU referendums. Oh, you voted the wrong way. We'll oh, wow, of course, yeah. The Nice, uh, basically, referendum. The French, the Dutch, and someone else voted on a, uh, having an EU constitution in the mid 2000s. And it was no, nine, niet. No, that's Russian. Um, three times. And then they were like, you know what? Let's stop putting into the people and mm. just carry on the agenda. <laughs> and just do it anyway, yeah. 15 years later. Yeah. 
But von der Leyen, yeah, just her. she just decrees. She just goes to the parliament, which is at least has, that's a sham democracy. At least there's some coverage of democracy, you know. Yeah. And she just declares to them what, what how it's going to be. Except she's not elected. She wasn't elected by anybody. No. She was a former German bureaucrat or former German, German politician who was basically booted out of Germany, extremely unpopular in Germany, and they kind of got rid of her. Uh, the, the Germans were happy to see her go, yes, shunt her off to the EU to Brussels and have her do some crap over there. And they're actually, she's involved in a bunch of uh, different uh, lawsuits or whatever, not that she started that taken against her. She's in, implicated in a bunch of uh, lawsuits that are still pending, basically. She's, uh, we'll have a look at her in a minute because she's been in the news this week as well. But just on the, on the media, in terms of how puerile and mind-knowing it is for me to have to, this is, getting back to why I'm tired, um, this is an example. Um, you don't even have to play it, right? It's just it's about the mobilization in Russia, as most people know about. And this is an example of the just the crass level of, you know, they're really reaching. The media's really reaching, you know. Mm-hmm. So they so there's mobilization in Russia, and immediately the Western media wants to demonize this mobilization in Russia and and and, and throw shade at it, basically make it or cast it as being against the will of the Russians. Against the will of the Russians, or just completely crap, or or whatever, or it's useless, or they're all drunk. Or, yeah. or whatever, you know. But just this, just this headline, right? I mean, the video, you don't play the video, but it's just a group of people, and there's just a, I a, think a scene and, of... And the warning contains some upsetting scenes. Yeah, which is... And this upsetting scenes is, is, is one of the guys, his wife is there, and she hugs him, and, and the child she's carrying is crying. And this is, a, this is an article. Someone in the BBC, some hack in the BBC decided that it was good to pen an article. For the purpose, I suppose, of making a serious point, Attempting to make a serious point that would show, pitch the mobilization of military personnel in Russia in a bad light. And their main point seems to be that a child, one child in all of Russia was heard crying because her father or his or her father was going away for a few weeks or a few months. And that's, that's news. That's news. That, but not, not, not just news, informed. it's... But it, it, we'll, we'll draw the conclusion from it, Neil. Putin's making babies cry, right? Yeah, well, yeah he does that. He's all and it's never happened before. Like in any mobilization, like when American troops or British troops, if they, when they're heading off for a few months on, on a tour of duty or something like that, uh, but the, the, none of their children ever cried. But they, when they cry, they know they're crying because ah, so daddy's, child, daddy's going to do something great. Okay, for so this child is crying because it knows that daddy's going off to do something bad. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Thanks, BBC. Yeah, really, really, it's yeah. really because I would never have, you know, I would never have been able to use such ridiculous mental gymnastics to come up with that spurious bullshit explanation. You know what I mean? But uh, thanks, BBC, for uh, for letting me let me in on how how to really think about these things. That's what they're there for. Ass hats. Anyway, um, it's more. gotten bad. Yeah, the mobilisation was nuts. And not the actual mobilisation. It was very smooth. You know, all the way across Russia. There were no, there were a few protests for sure, yeah. But like people arrested in the dozens, mostly women, by admission in articles. Were there any protests? Pro war, pro peace protests. Were there any protests against the Iraq War, in two thousand three, that America launched against international law, against UN with no UN uh, agreement? Were there any protests? Do you remember any? Two thousand three, around March April time. In the US, you remember? You might remember one or two. It, yeah. Eleven million people in the streets of Europe. Right. Right. Yeah, but they weren't forced to go fight. No, but the protests. Protests, protests against, against the war, sure. Against the mobil- oh, mobilization yeah. of troops. Mm-hmm. Well, well, this is unique. This is unique. This has never happened before. And it's always bad when people... It's always... When people protest, 
It always means that the war is bad. Does it? If you're in Russia. Look at this one. More, just, just to get, get it off my chest. Uh, I'm sure you're, you're quaking in your shoes about um, the threat of, being, of, of nuclear annihilation, no? Have you got well, your, that was the first thing they ran with. Have you got your yeah. duck and cover thing under the table? You get under the table, yeah. Just straight under the table and take your iodine pill. Yeah. Have you been practicing that? It's, it's harder than it sounds, actually. I've taken too much iodine. I think I've yeah. just been I've been doing it every every few hours just in case you know because you never know when it'll happen and I think I might have iodine over uh, like an overload or something overdose I'm feeling quite jittery you know yeah maybe I should stop it um, anyway um, this is another example of the of the of course all across the media the past few days nukes Putin's going to nuke everybody Putin's going to nuke Ukraine and then he'll nuke the world and everybody'll die and evil Putin um, the interesting thing about this is that <laughs> the the claim, obviously, the claim that everybody understands now that Putin is the one who unilaterally said, you better watch out or I'll nuke you. Don't do anything to piss me off or I'll nuke Ukraine and yeah. maybe everybody else. Right? And this is what the headline this is, one of the many, many headlines that have been reflecting this in the past few days. Putin will trigger world nuclear arms race if he bombs Ukraine. Not only will he destroy the world, but then people will be looking for... Uh, Nukes as well, you know. He he may destroy the world if he destroys Ukraine at least, but he might that might end up destroying the world. But if there's anything left of the world, what the people the people who are left, what they'll immediately do is is start to acquire nukes themselves so they can destroy what's left of it. I suppose. I don't know. Um, this is supposed to be this is a morality tale that he sets a bad example. Right. That's what they're trying to suggest. Except this is them accusing the man who, for the last twenty years, has been trying and trying to encourage the U.S. and the U.K. to please to help start setting a good example yeah. to other countries that seek nuclear weapons. Right. And of course, they didn't just ignore him. They got they brought it all to the point where they told Zelensky at the Munich conference earlier this year in January, just before this shit kicked off, you know what? Tell him you're thinking about getting nukes. Mm. Watch his reaction. Mm. So yeah, they they get to do this lecturing like after they've stirred the pot it's it's psychopathic. It's mm. like this is why everything that they they accuse it, anyone else of anyone else of is what they're doing. What you know? they're doing themselves, yeah. Which is why it's so maddening. But um, yeah, if you just throw it back up, Putin will trigger a world nuclear arms race if he bombs Ukraine. And then scroll down. So implied in this implied in this um, article, obviously, it, just down to the video. Implied in this article is and loads of others is that Putin is the one who has, like I said, threatened to use nuclear weapons with. While the peace-loving West has just sat back and went, oh, no, don't do it, don't, 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 don't do it. Biden last week. Anyway, so it's a very short video. Just uh, play it there. Hopefully we're allowed to play it, but whatever. Okay. Но и о высказываниях некоторых высокопоставленных представителей ведущих государств НАТО о возможности и допустимости применения против России оружия массового поражения, ядерного оружия. Что? Тем, кто позволяет себе такие заявления в отношении России. Хочу напомнить, что наша страна также располагает различными средствами поражения, а по отдельным компонентам и более современными, чем у стран НАТО. И при угрозе территориальной целостности нашей страны, 
для защиты России и нашего народа. Мы, безусловно, используем все имеющиеся в нашем распоряжении средства. Это не блеф. Для защиты нашей Родины, ее суверенитета и территориальной целостности. Для обеспечения безопасности. That's very clear. No, so, he, he, well, the point, the point he, is he obviously put it in context. And they, they, in fairness, they, in their video, they placed his statement in context. He said, and he was probably referring to Liz Trust, but he had the, the dip diplomatic class not to say Liz Trust earlier this year threatened to use nukes against us. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'd like to remind you, we also have nukes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's just it's it, what I think. What I find funny about it is that the Guardian or the the Telegraph here, you know, pens an article accusing, effectively accusing Putin, or you're going with everybody knows that Putin has just uh, threatened to use nukes, and in it they include an article, uh, a video of him saying that that makes it clear that the only reason he's threatened threatened to use nukes is because the, the West already threatened to use nukes against Russia. But you won't find that anywhere, even though they have it in their article. Yeah. No, it's all about the headlines. The headlines, the moment that speech ended, was Putin threatens to nuke world. Right. Universally. I've checked. I checked a whole bunch of English right. and American sites after. Putin threatens nuke world. And that's all the people, well, they hope that that's all the people will retain. That's all the, the space they have in their heads for. And they're probably right for a lot of people. Yeah. That is all they have. Um. Obviously, there's more to that speech. That speech was, first comment on that speech, like, you know how it was supposed to be on Tuesday night. Mm. They had announced it would be 10 p.m. Moscow time or something. Yeah. It was nuts. I was on Twitter. And, like, it didn't matter who they were. MSM outlets um, had a running commentary. They had special teams on the go for yeah. live updates, you watching, know. Uh, watching. Obviously, all the NAFO nut jobs, all the, the Ukro-Nazis, whether you're ambivalent, love Putin, hate him, it doesn't matter. The whole Twitterati was like... With bated hey, breath, yeah. He's going to say something. <clears throat> what this again, speaks to the fact that irrespective of the subjective feelings about this guy, he is, as the Myanmar Prime Minister described him in person when they met on the sidelines of uh, mm -hmm. some event or another a couple of weeks ago, The world sees you as number one. Whatever title we give you, he said just simply leader of the world. Mm -hmm. That's, that is it, that must, like, well, that, that is the thing they're constantly suppressing, I think, subconsciously. A kind of a, there's a tacit recognition in this person as the most powerful, influential kingmaker, mover and shaker yeah. on the planet at this time. Yeah. That's the first most remarkable thing. Of course, they'll drown all that out with, oh, that's rubbish. You would say that. You're a NATO troll. Mm -hmm. But listen, I'm watching your words and your actions, including what's implied by the way you treat Putin and have treated him this last 10 years. Right. Um, he's supposed to be such a mastermind that he can influence elections with subliminal messaging through a few thousand euros worth of Facebook ads? Yeah. Okay, so you really believe that? That's and Brexit, by the way, and the Catalonia independence referendum, et cetera, et cetera. You rain them off. His influence is total. It's everywhere. It can strike at any time. I, I think these people have talked themselves into a corner where 
the power that Putin has is in part what they give to him. But it's also it, tacitly they recognize that he is number one because he has the means and the smarts. Yeah. But they don't want to admit it, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But they, yeah, they're tacitly recognizing the fact that he's a pretty, pretty smart guy who has a lot of leverage, a lot of control, and they're terrified of it, but they're fascinated by it at, yeah. the, at, the, at the same time. Um, but they're told to be terrified of it. They have no reason to be terrified of it, but they're fascinated by it. Um, yeah, you just mentioned, like, influence in elections. This was um, from a few days ago. Again, you won't find it really anywhere. Unfortunately, it's... A, you had to go to RT. I don't mean unfortunately there's nothing wrong with RT. It's just that it's unfortunate that it's only an RT. But there was a court filing uh, this past week uh, that suggests that the FBI knew Russiagate. Of course, we know this is the tr- truth, but again, it's having evidence to back it up that Russiagate was a fraud in Jan- and that the FBI knew it, that Russiagate was a fraud in January of tw- 2017, but kept it up. But it kept up its pressure on Trump. I.e., they kept it going. Uh, I. But of course, they knew it was a fraud because they were the ones who. The FBI, along with others, were directly involved in creating the fraud uh, of Russiagate, i.e. Russia stealing, you know, Russia collusion with Trump and Russia stealing the elections and all that kind of stuff. Um, But it's amazing, yeah, people are, it's really bad, like, you know, where people are a certain number, I think most of the population, because they either get it directly because they're watching the news or they get it by kind of, I don't know, subliminally or by osmosis or something or by hearing it even if they're not watching the media watching the news and stuff that they're getting this message because in a lot of places in a lot of cities as well it's like there's TV screens or advertisements or news like in many many different places that people go like into stores into shops even on on billboards you know uh, article headlines on billboards and stuff like that uh, and of course, they'll come across it on any social media that they do, even if it's not Twitter or news hounding on social media. They'll still come across a lot of those headlines, and it's 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 terrible that people are in Western countries are subject to that. You know that that they're they have no uh, immunity or very little immunity to that level of lies and disinformation. And the people disseminating disseminating it know that, and they push it harder and harder and harder. And you know, people in positions of of power actively and deliberately concocting fake stories, making up, uh, you know, inventing, fabricating stories, lies about, on major topics that affect people's view of how the world works and how, uh, you know, how their country, is, the, the state of their country, etc., and what's actually happening in the country and who they should be afraid of and who they shouldn't. And the vast majority of it is lies. It's actually being made up out of whole cloth and project it into, into people's minds, and they just absorb it either actively because that's the only source they have or passively because they don't, you know, they get it anyway, like I said, from, from many different sources, even if they're not looking at it. It's, it's, it's really bad, you know? Yeah. It comes with wealth, I think. That's a large part of it. Um, <clears throat> Lavrov mentioned again, the, it's obviously a, a term used a lot in discourse in, in and around the Kremlin, the golden billion in his mm. speech at the, the UN. General Assembly, the golden billion, i.e., the West Western population as a whole, you know, which is what, like? uh, yeah, you come from good times, you're comfortable, and then for a whole set of reasons, in your comfortableness, it's easier for power to scare you. Uh, yeah, because you're free. You're first more to lose. with terrorism, right. war on terror, <clears throat> then with viruses. Well, you become war, weak, war right? Pandemic of virus. Comfortableness um, makes you weak. It makes you weak because you want to retain it. Right. You're your you're comfort. kind of being told by them your com- your wealth is at risk here. Mm. Do you want to protect your wealth? Well, we can help you, 
buy in with us today and you'll get you know guaranteed return on your investment it's not, it's almost like a marketing pitch mm. um that and that that at least is subconsciously communicated this last quarter century mm-hmm. repeatedly to them you know mm-hmm. and the thing is they have objective reasons to believe that that's worth an investment worth keeping because a whole load of shenanigans with the dealing with the 2008 financial crisis has meant that they actually recovered really well they the powers that be so to speak mm-hmm. the financial system managed to, to save pump out a load more money pump by by doing something that's ultimately going to kill it within our generation they will destroy it really really badly but um they bought time if you like if you see it that way by printing money or they saved it if you don't even think about who ultimately is going to pay the bill you know Mm -hmm. um desperate uh, times called for desperate measures right yeah yeah it just and 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 it worked most people retained the house uh roof over their heads a a steady job maybe they had to move maybe they lost the house but they you know came back um, there was not a widespread wipeout. Well, there was briefly, mm. um, but they recovered. As long as it's good, the going's good. Yeah, whatever, whatever it takes. Um, it's different in Russia. It's different in China. It's different in other places. They are coming into wealth now um, at various paces, the Chinese fastest. And so uh, there would have to be sufficient good times and then an objective reason, raison d'etre for, if in China's case, the CCP to go, okay, shit, we've got some external threat out there, the rise of another, the US, the West is coming back, whatever, right. or some external threat. Now we have to start to bullshit our people. Mm. But there's no need for them to do it mm-hmm. at the moment. Right. But the, it's chronic in the West that they must be lied to over and over again. They must be terrified. We must keep them on board. This obsession with keeping illusion. people on board. Yeah. And, of course, it's not that I've made major generalization across the West as if it's one. It's definitely tiered. It's stronger in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the U.S. objectively has means over Europe, for example, to maintain this illusion. Mm-hmm. We're not sure exactly what they are, but they're obviously there's a whole array of items. Like, what is it that... It becomes known in Germany, in German news, that Angela Merkel's personal communications are monitored by the American government as a matter of routine. And she herself then goes to the people and says, it's fine. Hmm. Really, don't, I don't want to get worked up about mm-hmm. that. That's fine. That's cool. That's, we have an understanding. Hmm. Okay, oh, that, that was a mundane example. Fast forward now, and it's like, uh, good evening, my fellow German citizens. This winter, we're slashing our industry by one third, and it'll be fine. Mm. In whose fucking interest is that? Obviously, yeah. it's the United States first and foremost. It's not in the German people's, but there's still sufficient tie-in for German nobles, the elites, the government in Germany, to agree to go along with that. Um, that's what that's that's pretty remarkable. Whatever yeah. combination of blackmail and economic leverage, the imperial center, the U.S. primarily, can, can have over the collective West to keep them on board. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't think it's going to last this, beyond this winter, though. I think um, mm-hmm. there's enough signs. So I, I don't have much hope in particular for today's election in Italy, but again, um, because we've been here 10 years before when there was a, quote, far-right nationalist party, anti-globalist, 
that came to shared government in Italy. Mm-hmm. And in the end, through all kinds of combination of financial shenanigans from Brussels and Washington. Um, uh, yeah, media lies. Uh, the Berlusconi-backed mm-hmm. guy, what was his name? Martini, uh, Silvio Martini was mm-hmm. booted out. Oh, he kind of hung himself on his own, hoisted himself on his own petard. But um, here we are today again in Italy. It's sort of, we're back to the playbook 10 years ago where there's the chance of a nationalist, pro-Italy, pro-people, populist government in Italy being elected this week. But, you know, I don't think that's enough to have the set of consequences that would be required to turn this around, namely for them to say to Brussels, look, all this stuff uh, about, you know, just going along with, you know, taking a swinging axe to our economy because Ukraine or saving the planet, <clears throat> there's still such a hold over these people mm-hmm. that uh, it's it's going to require like major, you know, protests on the streets. I mean, protests and a government falls, not protests and everyone goes home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just, uh, I mean, there's a couple of times that just getting back to what you're saying about Germany, just throw that up there, Scotty, just for, you know, the evidence of what you're saying, I think you're referring to the German foreign minister, right? Uh, where she said a few weeks ago that Germany's foreign, uh, Ger- she said that she will support the war in Ukraine regardless of what Germans want or how it may impact their quality of life. It's in the first paragraph there. Um, she was, it's a video, you know. Um, she, the vi- well, it's actually the video is, um, let's go down a little bit. It's on Twitter, does it play? I give the promise to people in Ukraine. We stand with you as long as you need us. Then I want to deliver, no matter what my German voters think, but I want to deliver to the people of Ukraine. And this is why, for me, it's important to be always very frank and clear. And this means every measure I'm taking, I have to be clear that this holds on as long as Ukraine needs me. We are facing now a winter time where we will be challenged as democratic politicians. People will go on the street and say, we cannot pay our energy prices. And I will say, yes, I know. So we help you with social measures. But I don't want to say, okay, then we stop the sanctions against uh, Russia. We will stand with Ukraine. And this means the sanctions will stay also in winter time, even if it gets really tough for po- politicians. Tough for politicians. Oh, tough for politicians, not for the people. Tough for the people and for politicians. So, I mean, how do you get away with that? That's an example of getting away, like we were talking about a few minutes ago there, of, of getting away with saying that kind of stuff, and people don't uh, don't respond. She basically mm-hmm. said, "Listen, I mean, she, more or less, she she said, tough winter, people, Germans having a hard time, energy, you know, heat or eat." But sorry, I'm not going to stop that from happening by stopping the, the support for Ukraine mm-hmm. and sanctions against Russia because Ukrainians are more important to me than R- Germans are. Mm-hmm. And she's a German foreign minister. Yeah. And she can say that and there's silence. There's yeah. no protest. There's nothing. There's no calls for her to be removed. Nothing. But, yeah. And two things uh, for me are remarkable about it. She, she gives the U.S. position fully. The official German position isn't quite so. And there's some... Uh, Americans have spoken, American elites are angry at Olaf Scholz for not doing enough. Mm. But she still articulates that fully, we are fully with the U.S. position on Ukraine. Mm-hmm. The second one is that she's fluent in English. Right. Now, people, people probably haven't noticed that because it's sort of seamlessly happened over the last 20 years. Yeah. But Germans, 
would not have learned English. They would not have spoken English. Gerhard Schroeder didn't speak English 20 years ago. This is part of it's this seems to be like there seems to be a lag effect where the extent of integration of the European Union as such into and under Washington DC and whatever is wanted in Washington went really like sky high over mm-hmm. the last 30 years. Obviously, a lot of this was happening behind the scenes. She, I, I'm guessing maybe she's a product of a university program, exchange program, where she meets certain people 20 years ago when oh, she's so just a teenager. American, American universities. American universities. Von der Leyen herself, um, similar, you know, uh, university, I think, in the United States. But mm-hmm. her, in her case, it's more symbolic. Um, uh, there are others who are just Estonian, French, whatever, and they, they went on exchange programs. And now they're fluent mm-hmm. in English and 100% speaking whatever Washington wants. And they're now in power in Europe. Von der Leyen is specific. On two sides of her family, she can track descendancy from a British slave owner in the United States and an American, a later American family. Mm-hmm. I think her surname was Ladson or something like that. Uh, they, she's literally from two lines of people that were plantation owners in the United States. Right. So she has American... Uh, Boris Johnson is half American. I think he was... I think he was... By virtue of being born in New York mm-hmm. because his mother right. was American. Um, so it's... So it's partly symbolic and it's also partly through serious concerted efforts. Another notorious platform through which takes this takes place is the um, George Soros connections. He had an actual university in... Hungary and elsewhere in Europe, I think, mm-hmm. where they would try to recruit and attract and then later promote. I think there is some, there's some boast by his open source, uh, open society foundation that something like one third to two fifths of all MEPs in the parliament are graduates of their programs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the extent of this integration into a, um, what, what they would see as on the face of it, they would call it, they would say it's apolitical. Mm-hmm. It's not, no, 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 this is just, you know, this is the natural, we don't take sides on anything like that. Obviously, that's bullshit. It's extremely political mm-hmm. and it's, it's extremely pro-American. Yeah, and it's been going on for a very long time, like you said. Uh, it's very well integrated. But it's really point, come to the fore yeah. when it was needed now right. at this time. Right, well, that's what it's for. it was for in a certain sense. It was well-planned in advance. I mean, it was natural that they would do that because, you know, the US has always want, had a, a desire to, you know, make everybody like us, basically, you know, in, in, in that sense, rule the world by uh, globalization, a, a, a monoculture to, uh, to the greatest extent possible, at least a uh, mono thinking in a way, rather than, you know, they want everybody to think like them, to see the world um, from the American point of view, um, the rules-based international order, mm-hmm. America's rules, which is what obviously Putin and Lavrov just this week at the, not Putin, but Lavrov at the, uh, at the UN, was 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 talking about. Um, he actually made a, an interesting comedy. Quoted, uh, he was talking about American exclusivity and American, you know, hegemony and stuff like that. And you know, Lavrov, Lavrov, sorry, yeah, and and, and was uh, you know talking about that Russia and its partners in further the east were pushing towards a multipolar world where there's more ec- more fairness, more you know, more distribution of wealth and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he said that American exclusivity, exclusivity had become particularly destructive after the end of the Cold War. Already in 1991, the deputy chief of the Pentagon, Paul Wolfowitz, in his conversation with the NATO command, 
the commander of NATO in Europe, Wesley Clark, stated, and then he says, and I quote, after the end of the Cold War, we can use our military without any fear of reprisal. We have five, maybe ten years so as to clean out the surrogate Soviet regimes, such as Iraq and Syria, until such time as there is a new superpower who can challenge us. We have five to ten years. And that's what they did. Yeah. You know. um, Then Putin came into power at the end of that time, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of months ago, you quoted Paul Wolfowitz and documents like that, maybe not that exact quote, to explain to people the geopolitical timescales through which the prism through which these people see these things mm-hmm. and the time scale through which things like Ukraine war occur in, you know, it takes decades for things like this to just erupt. Right. Um, so Lavrov said it now. Yeah. So someone hears you saying what you said before him, they go, ah, you got it from him, Russian troll. Yeah. You see, the, I see what's going on here. There's an ideological, indeed, a new pole mm. in the Kremlin. And it's affecting, infecting Westerners like yourself. People who would say that are idiots who haven't been paying attention and have only woken up because the media told them to wake up. They've been basically asleep for the past 20 years or they woke up periodically when the media told them, oh, look at this and take an opinion on this and then go back to sleep. Uh, whereas, uh, so they don't know. Uh, and if they haven't been watching, they haven't been paying attention. They don't know that like, we were saying this kind of, we were saying, basically what Lavrov was saying at the UN this week, we were saying that 15 years ago. Yeah. And we said it repeatedly and wrote articles over and over again and had radio shows over and over again saying exactly the same thing. Um, yeah. Because it was obvious. It was obvious to us. You can figure it out. Well, you say it's obvious, but we had to work it out. We, we, had, we had, there was no one articulating it. No. Except other, other anti-imperial dissidents, so to speak, mm-hmm. in the West, who like us had to figure it out in the absence of any information from on high, so mm-hmm. to speak. We figured this out. No one, no one set the program for mm-hmm. us. No one gave us the breadcrumbs of which to follow. We figured this out despite a total information blockade on this in the West. And not only that, but we, we were saying that kind of thing when arguably at a time, at a, arguably at a time when Russia would not have agreed with it. Because no. Russia was still talking about our partners in America and we, we really appreciate our partners in America and our partners in Europe and we're all about partnership and stuff. Right, you know? and, and if anything, it. we said, well, it looks like they're all in it together then. Right. They're, you know, wishy-washy, maybe here and there they protest. The first kind of time I went, holy smokes, wow, there's something different here. For me, I, we're all different. And for me, it was a wake-up call. It was just before the Kiev coup, mm. 2013. August, Obama, he says, there's a red line. If Syria crosses it, we're going in. Weapons hub, we're blitzing the... Sh- we're doing... We're going to do a Libya and Iraq on Syria if they cross that red line. Then, boom, there's a chemical weapons attack. Later, proven to be staged. And, you know, the ships are at sea. The jets are revving up, engines hot, and it was about to go when it didn't. Yeah. And the Brits said, yeah, well, we, we had a debate about it in Parliament, and we... Very narrowly voted against it, right. and uh, all the left was like, "Well, that's 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 jolly good. That's good for democracy, you know." Yeah, bit of restraint. Peace won the day. Jolly yeah. good. No bullshit. That happened as a charade afterwards. Right. Turns out, they had a good luck at what Syria had been given the, by the Russians since the late two thousands, uh-huh. and went. You know what? We're going to lose too many planes right. and ships. Mm-hmm. 
if we go in here. Russia's not in there. We're not under direct threat of confrontation with Russia, but it was enough to give them the heebie-jeebies not to do an Iraq mm -hmm. on Syria. And that's when I went, hang on, that didn't just happen. That meant that the Russians were watching that scenario beforehand and preparing for mm -hmm. it. And subsequent events played it out. Everyone knows now Russia is a de jure and de facto supporter of Syria. Mm -hmm. But at the time, that was yeah. opaque. Right. You have to figure that out, right? right? Well, there's also evidence that the West is a coward, basically, that they are terrified of having one of their shiny planes uh, shot down because of the optics. Yes. That's the way it would look. Yeah. They never engage in a fight uh, against a peer adversary, anybody who can really shoot back effectively. They only want to bomb countries that are basically, you know, yeah. like, like, like shooting fish in a barrel, basically. Israel's the same today. They'll yeah. only take um, pot shots right. at Syria, but they won't go full. Right. They won't go like do a full Egypt, yeah. is, uh, like Egyptian war, the Six Day mm -hmm. War in the nineteen sixties and seventies, because mm -hmm. they know uh, they won't win. Mm -hmm. We well, we also but, know that they had hard experience of attempting to do that in Lebanon in two thousand six, right. right. and had to back down right. with a, a draw. Yeah, the evidence suggests the West is not prepared for a, a, any kind of a direct contact with a, with a peer competitor that, that they would they would suffer way more than they're prepared to suffer, and it would look really bad, you know, the whole idea of Western awesomeness and American hegemony and its power, and it dictate, dictates the rules to everybody else. Uh, they just don't want to ever be in a position where they, where they look bad. This is, as, far, as far as they'll go is with the proxy wars, which they've been doing for forever, basically, where they're arming, funneling massive amounts of weapons to some other force in another country to fight uh, their war for them, basically, and they can avoid, um, you know, uh, any... Any negatives, any of the, the bad optics, like I said. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Italy there, voting today in Italy, and of course, across the media, far right. Far Italy right. to have its first fascist. Fascist slash far right. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mussolini. Again, like trying to program people without anybody who, who has a slight conservative bent or any party that's a conservative party is immediately far right fascist. And von der Leyen, again, talked about her, that crazy, crazy woman. Uh, she, I think she's actually a bit crazy, you know. Um, she, she certainly comes across as being slightly unhinged. Uh, here she is talking, I think just yesterday, in, in advance of the vote today, basically general elections in, in Italy, and it looks like there's a, the, a conservative party will more or less take power. And it's like, oh, willing and gnashing of teeth, oh my God, it's all going to fall apart, this is horrible. <coughs> what about liberal, uh, you know, faggy, faggy liberal Western democracy? Uh, it's going to be destroyed by some far-right party in Italy. Anyway, here's what she said in response to that. And she's just, again, like, kind of like the German foreign minister, she's open about it, you know. We'll see. If things uh, go in a difficult direction, I've spoken about Hungary and Poland. We have tools. If things go in the right direction, and people as a body that is always, um, where always governments have to be accountable to, play an important role. She says with an American flag behind her. Yeah, right. in Washington. She's at some, yeah. some of, uh, I think it was part of the, the UN yeah. General Assembly. So yeah. we'll see if things go in a difficult direction. So a difficult direction is that any party that she doesn't agree with and her ilk don't agree with, uh, any party that, that wins an election in any European country, that's a difficult direction. And that's popular vote, right? In democratic Europe, the popular vote. Uh, people go exercise their their democratic right to vote. They vote for a party, and Ursula, crazy Ursula, says, that's difficult. And 
as we've seen with Hungary and Poland, we have measures to deal with that financial economic measures, i.e. you're not getting any more money because your people voted for the wrong party. This is, and, and this, these, and these, this is the democracy that we're, we're defending by, by freezing our asses off this winter uh, in, in support of Ukraine, to support our democracies, because obviously this Putin's invasion of, of a part of Ukraine is a threat on democracy worldwide, and he won't stop until he's in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill, right? And uh, Oh, be still my beating heart. <laughs> democracy is under threat around the world. This kind of democracy, democracy where if you don't vote for the right party, you're sanctioned. And that's what we have to freeze our ass off to protect. Yeah, it's pretty bad these days. It's really, uh, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of peak. I can't, I can't imagine it being any, getting any worse. Um, I just, I forgot to throw this up earlier. Just throw up that picture I sent you, Scotty. Just an example, because it reminded me of the one. Do you remember the one uh, back in 2000, before you put it up? Remember in, in 2014 uh, with MH17? Mm-hmm. Remember the, there was a collage of all the headlines? Uh, Putin, mass murderer Putin. Putin killed my baby about the, the shooting down of MH17, which obviously pro- almost undoubtedly was not the Russians. It was, was some other element that it does a, effectively a false flag operation. And we know false flag operations are real, because just earlier this year, uh, the Under Secretary or the Assistant Secretary of Defence, I think, at the Pentagon, spoke at, at a press conference, saying, talking explicitly about false flag operations and how they really are things. People do actually carry out attacks that are designed to be blamed on your enemy, when in fact it was you that did it. Anyway, so there's a collage: Putin killed my baby because he shot down MH17. All the newspapers, particularly the British tabloids. Uh, but all, even the broadsheets, even the, the, you know, the intellectual ones were very much like evil Putin, evil, with no evidence. It was, it was within like 12 hours of it happening, Putin killed my baby. Anyway, this is an example from Bucha. Everybody knows Bucha, right? That horrible war crime that, that the Russians committed. Just throw it up there. Um, this is a, colla- a similar collage. Uh, that, that we have to remember the great British public and most of the Western public were subjected to this for several days after that particular event. Uh, Head lies. Genocide, horror in Bucha. Worse than ISIS. Worse than ISIS. You know, so you wonder why people are brainwashed? Well, because they're being brainwashed, literally, um, by this kind of, these kind of lies. These are all lies because um, there's a lot of questions about Bucha, Bucha, whatever you call it, that, has, that have come out since. Uh, there's a lot of evidence at the time that it, the, the story that it was the Russians who, who killed people is not actually true. And then more recently in Izium, when the, when the Ukrainians had their awesome counteroffensive and took back Izium, and they found a mass grave and all that kind of stuff, right? Not like we talked about last week, I think, mass grave with nicely laid out crosses and pictures mm. of people and numbers. It's, it's nonsense, you know. But apparently, at, at, I don't know if it was at the UN, I think it was at the UN that Lavrov mentioned that he had, they had repeatedly asked for the names of the... Or no, it was was it? It was Butcher actually. It was Butcher. Uh, he he asked. I think at the UN mentioned at the UN that they wanted. They had asked repeatedly the Ukrainian government or anybody who has them to give the names of the people people who died in Butcher, and they won't they won't give them. The other thing I'm th- thinking about Izium is that the um, the what is it the they won't give them. Therefore, they won't, they won't publish uh, them. Yes, yeah. and they won't tell anybody who the names are because mm. obviously the names are important and. Uh, in terms of identifying the people and where they were, you know, a, a proper investigation of Bucha. No, we're not allowed to go away. It's done. We had our yeah. headlines. Didn't yeah. you see our headlines? The headlines yeah. are done. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. The message was, Everybody was, was knows. done. Everybody knows. But in Izium, 
apparently there's a headline. I, 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 I don't have it. Do I have it here? Yeah, I do actually. Um, it's the um, is the UN. I don't know. Let me check here. Um, just throw that one up, Scotty. Um, Amnesty. So Amnesty International is denied access. So we get the story about Isium, uh, mass graves, strangely laid out in nice, you know, rows of crosses and stuff with numbers and pictures. But this was a this is a war crime supposedly. Uh, but Amnesty International has been denied access to the graves in Isium to do any kind of proper investigation and actually come up with. Uh, an explanation as to what this actually was. Was this a war crime? Of course, on first blink at the whole situation, you look at it and you say, well, this is a place where the Russian troops were. They were fighting against Ukrainians. This was a front line fighting against Ukrainians, regular over weeks and weeks and weeks exchange of, 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 of fire. And then the Russians leave and you find a bunch of graves. And the conclusion is, well, they're probably the Ukrainian military people that died, right? And the Russians actually bothered to bury them because the Ukrainians apparently didn't want the bodies, weren't interested in taking the bodies back, so the Russians actually went to the bother of act, which isn't a usual thing in war, right? I mean, you, in that kind of battle, you kill a bunch of the enemy. You don't stop and bury them in graves. You walk away. You drive over them, basically, you know what I mean? So, um, but somehow, again, this was spun as, as you know, it was similar to the Butcher thing. Evil war crime, you know, uh, mass graves. Uh, just more, more propaganda. Um, that just boggles my mind. Um, and then, what is this? Um, <coughs> yeah. But it says there that uh, Kiev has withdrawn the organization's accreditation. Right. For good, I presume. Well, yeah. Because they actually, uh, you remember Amnesty accused the Ukrainians of using human shields, using yeah. civilians as human shields. Well, they How dare both. you? What yeah. about democracy? Shut up. Um, anyway, um, Iran. Uh, what's going? So what's going on in today? Over the well, yesterday started yesterday. I think the referendums in Donetsk, yeah. Luhansk, Zaporizhia. Oh no, uh, Zaporizhia and uh, Kherson. Kherson. Um, yeah, uh, looks like it's. I'm. I'm astounded that they can do it at all. Um, they seem to be doing it. They have some polling stations in yes, safer places, but for, right. for the most part, it's done it's door mailing. to door. Yeah, like collecting them or mail them in or something like that. Yeah, they've got stations for people who went to Russia. Until uh, the last day, I think, when they're going to have the 27th, so it's over four days. So yesterday, or the day before yesterday, was the day before yesterday, 23rd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, yeah. 26th, 27th, it's 25th, 30th. So on Tuesday is the, the only day when people will be able to go, to, on a broader scale, go to actual polling stations or to, 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 to put their ballots in a box, you know, uh, across reasons. And they're just doing that for security reasons. And you saw people, like, on social, against social media, my God, like, I feel like just shoot myself and read, you know, pro-Ukrainian commentators or Western commentators about this situation on, on, on Twitter. Uh, pictures of um, people being escorted by a Russian soldier uh, or Russian soldiers going to people's houses to deliver ballots. Uh, and yes, look, well, uh, well, what does that tell you? On a duress, they're being forced, right? Yeah, they're being the forced. The fact to that it's a war zone, yeah. and the fact that they might be, that there could be any in infiltrators around who want to, clearly Ukrainians who want to disrupt this whole process, that cannot be the reason 
why there are military personnel involved in the, the voting, right? It has to be that the people are being fo vo uh, forced to do it at, at gunpoint. They'll always say that. I know, but do these people not even care? I mean, like, I, I put myself in their position. I put myself, you know, kind of, I have a, I, I've done the mental exercise, let's say, of being on the Ukrainian side where, like, say, my country has been invaded. I could put it even worse, in the worst possible light. It's, it's 1916 or even today, let's say, in some other reality. I'm in Ireland, I'm Irish, and the Brits have invaded. How do I report on it? And, I, and, I'm, I, and you know, maybe I'm deluding myself, but I'm, I would not be doing what they're doing. I would be assigning truth to whatever was happening. I would look at it and say, okay, that's, you know, okay, we got our asses handed to us there. Okay, it's not going very well for us. Okay. You know, I'd want to know what was actually going on all the time. Uh, the actual facts of what are going on. I would not engage in this just amazing, yeah. the convoluted exercise of, 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 of spinning the story to yourself and then trying to get other people to believe you as well in like flagrant disregard of facts and logic and common sense. Yeah. I couldn't do that. How, how could anybody do that? Yeah. I don't understand it is what I'm saying. I don't understand yeah. these people. You know, it's like, it's almost like just competing realities, competing my truth and your truth and whatever I want to believe is true and I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what the facts say. I believe that, that this is true and therefore I'm going to, I'm going to say it. And the facts can go fuck themselves. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand people who, who do that. Yeah. I can't put myself in their heads at all. Um, but apparently they've been using a lot of, they've got Iranian, Iranian drones, those evil Iranians. The Ukrainians aren't happy with the Iranians. Say that fast. No, several, several that's, um, the Ukrainians aren't happy with one the of Iranians. the most remarkable things this past week. Um, Iranian drones are being used by the Russians to target all kinds of things. Really noisy drones. Really noisy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you hear them on video. Um, I, I just sent Scotty one there. Okay. Throw it up. Um, just an example. They are super noisy, but then a lot of drones are noisy. Um, but apparently it doesn't matter because obviously it alerts you to the fact that there's a drone in there when it's like flying over your head, you know. Um, go ahead. Apparently, all that shooting didn't really help much. Um, no, there are other videos too. Um, they're firing at them; they can't hit them. I, I don't understand why the, they're not being taken down by uh, anti-aircraft missiles that can surely tar lock on target them. But don't have them. They may no. not have them. No, but that's that's Odessa. What we saw there. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a report here in um, Telesur. I don't know where they got it from, but it claims that what they hit in Odessa with these drones was the 
entire remaining stockpile of NATO Harpoon missiles that the U.S. gave Ukraine. Mm -hmm. You may remember those because they're supposedly involved in attacking Russian ships in the Black Sea. Uh, Russia destroys stockpile of NATO Harpoon missiles. Um, Okay. That's citing citing the um, Russian, Russian general who gives the updates from the MOD. Okay, well, that's their claim. No reason to disbelieve it. Mm-hmm. Um, that may speak to what there have been other attacks as well. Apparently, today, um, one of these drones took out the command headquarters for the Ukrainian forces in Odessa, killing mm-hmm. God knows how many of them. Mm-hmm. I have video of it, but we won't bother playing because the Ukrainians have taken to, you know, masking all the landscape mm. to try and hide where it is, but as if the Russians can't figure out where, where they themselves are shooting at. Um, so there's been quite a few of these strikes with these drones mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, in and around Odessa. Um, I, I think it's... <laughs> we have to pause for a second and, and take stock of this. Iranian drones built, designed in Iran, despite being under sanctions from the West, like up the wazoo, Mm -hmm. for decades longer than Russia, Mm -hmm. they've developed drones that the Russians want and obviously can use tactically. Mm -hmm. Apparently also they can seek and destroy HIMARS, uh, the top US uh, missile tech anywhere in Ukraine. I don't know if that's been effective yet, but they're being bought by the Russians to use in a war in the Black Sea. Let's say it's in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's calling Ukraine Europe now that it's being right. attacked by barbarians from the east. Yeah. Well, take full stock of that picture. Iranians teaming up with the Russians to wipe out the best, I would imagine, the best, at least the best weapons that the United States can export mm-hmm. to take on the Russians. That's like, that's just, the world has changed. Mm-hmm. It's a whole new world. Sanctions didn't matter a damn. Maybe it delayed this point in history. But it reminds me of what you were saying years ago, that the in- inevitable process of technology, of modern technology, is that everyone would eventually have access to it. Whether it's via the way that they accuse, constantly accuse China of doing, of stealing our IP, you know, stealing mm. all our technology and, and just making copycat versions of it. Oh, sure, there's some of that that goes on. Mm-hmm. But then innovation kicks in and they start to actually design them and improve them and come up with new ideas based on the operational experience that that country or war in the region has been subject to. So these drones aren't just a copycat of something American. Mm -hmm. They actually innovated their own system that could seek, avoid detection, and serve as a missile, like a cruise missile. Obviously based on Iran's experience with, you know, all kinds of border wars. Yemen. Yemen, for starters. uh, Iraq, of course, Mm -hmm. going back to the 2000s. Um, And apparently this thing, despite... We see in the videos, like, they don't seem to be moving that fast, but they haven't been able to shoot them down. Mm-hmm. And no. they're taking out large volumes of stock, yeah, of nano stock. 
So it, maybe I'm not, well, not going to oversell this and say, wow, this is a technological game changer, but it's one more that speaks to the trend that, of something that was always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Technology is such, is such that everyone was going to industrialize eventually. Everyone was going to have the same tools eventually. Well, I mean, we were the, always heading towards a more level playing field in the yeah, world order. And it's been Militarily, delayed. economically, more and more. Mm-hmm. And the last gasp thing that they won't let go of is politically. They won't accept it. That's why mm, we have these wars change. with Russia. Yeah. Uh, Russia's saying to them, you know, new world, you know, not new world order, they don't use that term, but Lavrov, again, mentioned at the UN, you know, 500 years of Western dominance is Mm -hmm. coming to an end. Mm -hmm. There are natural historical processes that are bringing it to that end, but certain Anglo-American clique can't let go of that um, and accept that this is the way of the future. This is why multipolarity isn't an ideology per se. It's, It's an... On, on, it's an objective process, well, yeah, it's, independent it's, of what you believe. You natural, can't wish it away. It's a natural order, you know. Uh, it's a natural order of things. Obviously, is multipolarity. Uh, if you want to live in a just, fair, free society, it has to be multipolar. Like global society, it has to be multipolar. Multipolar. You can't have one country dictating rules to everybody else, and you know, uh, and paying the price for it. But I mean, it's like for for most of the modern era, you had like like you said, the Anglo-American or the Western European Empire, basically, you know. Uh, rode high on the hog, basically, and, 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 and ruled the world because, in their own minds, they were, well, listen, we're obviously better at this, right? We, we subjugate other cultures because we can, right? What's that phrase? The, uh, the, the, the strong do what they will and the weak suffer what they must. That was the, the ideology. Well, well, let's go and see, you know, and if anybody wants to compete with us and try and stop us or whatever, we'll, we'll see if they, can, if they can beat us or if they can create a stalemate then fine we'll you know we'll have to accept that but they found that they you know using a lot of dirty tactics and um immoral practices let's say they um they they went ahead and ruled the world but by their own kind of definition of that or their own their own rationale if when other parts of this the, the subjugated world let's say or the, the 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 second and third world when they after a period of time a natural order starts to uh, come out where those countries rise up and become more economically developed and technologically developed and a population more informed and literate and all that kind of stuff when at that point you would have to accept that you can no longer dominate the world the way you have based on, the, on that criteria these people now can push back and we're seeing evidence of it they can push back against you and say no tell you no and at that point you have to, if you're a reasonable person, say, okay, it was good while it lasted, but game over, right? We've got to now accept that multipolar world. But that's not what they're doing. And that's the problem, you know? Um, it's like a parent trying to keep their child, even though they're 27 years old, force them to obey their every command like, as if they're three years old, you know? I mean, you don't do that unless you're a pathological parent. And this is what we're dealing with in the West today. It's pathology, Based on those five hundred years of exceptionalism yeah. and, and, and and hegemony, you know, so they can't have it both ways. Sure, they had it for a long time, and you could you know, we would have to accept. Okay, you were strong; they were weak. You won, but now they're not they're not weak anymore. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to manipulate and bludgeon them, and if if I can't maintain my position of living, uh, of being the world's hegemon, well, then I'm going to wreck it all. And that seems to be like the wind is blowing in that direction where there seem to be of a mind to destroy it all. If we can't have it, no one else can have can have it. 
Um, yeah. There's one interesting um, twist along the way to it, but you can see how it's it, it's still a twist. Schultz has more than once this year used the term multipolarity. It's the first time I'm aware of a Western leader just acknowledged the damn term, mm-hmm. but he's trying to use it in a certain way. He tweeted, for example, in March this year, in May, Putin's war is not the sole reason for a global watershed. In this multipolar world, very different countries with glowing influence are demanding a greater political participation. This is not a threat. We will open up new ways of cooperation. Uh, He goes on to say that, to twist it, that Putin is the threat to multipolarity. So he's acknowledging, yeah, there's something real going on here, but he's... He is, by definition, in his in his actions, he's working against multilateralism. He's trying to fall back on, well, we Westerners, you know, with our cooperation with each other and uh, our uniform yeah, well, uh, stance on all things current, we're being multilateral. He's amongst being, yourself. He's being anachronistic and a throwback to an old world, you see? Well, that's... that's so, it's a, it, and that's but that's projection. Again, you get into like pathology and, and psychological pathology, and it's there's a psychological term for for what he, he's conveying there, which is it's a very basic one: projection, right? Someone who has dominated or been part of the clique that have dominated for so long, when they see someone else coming along and say, "Listen, we should share because we're we're able to, you know, we're able to manage ourselves now. You know, we're we're, we're kind of fairly powerful, and we need to share share the spoils among all the rest of us as well. You know, and the people who hear that who have been living high on the hog for so long or have been a hegemon for so long, they say, I know, I know what your game is. You want to replace me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to subjugate me. Like I subjugated you, you want to subjugate me now. So it's projection. Yeah. They've come they to can't believe conceive that of. hegemony is, the is in natural order. Right. Um, that it's inherently necessary to have a very tight and uh, quite a steep hierarchy at right. that. Because without it, there's just chaos. Right. We, we've quoted a bunch of US think tankers over the years who've said, you know, but if our system falls, it's just anarchy. Right. It's just law of the jungle. Well, that's that's we again. Can't have that again. Immediately, everything you saying, psychological, uh, you know, pathology, uh, psychological, uh, you know, disturbed characters, effectively disturbed psychology, uh, were th- that phrase. You're no good on your own. You know, with the gaslighting, the the you know the let's let's be. Let's let's use the use the the male female thing. Uh, a husband, um, you know, uh, abusing his wife or whatever, and uh, when she tries to leave, you you know convinces her you're no good on your own. You, you won't be able to do it on your own. You're useless. You're, you, you know you got to stay with me. And it's all just a psychological ploy, and it comes from a disturbed psychology. And that's what we're dealing with in the West on a broad kind of macro scale. We're dealing with pathology, psychological pathology, and. Yeah, it's going to be difficult to root it out. Um, yeah. Coming back to these referenda, did you not? Did you find it like a bit like when I heard that they're going to hold him? Like he announced it last Wednesday, and they started two days later. Mm. It's a bit crazy and rushed, no? Why? Well, I mean, do, do you think something? Uh, one of the guys, I think, is Pushilin, the, the head of the DPR, um, said that we had to change plans. This was meant to take place later. So, right. 
Well, there's some suggestion that it was a response to the whole Izium, the counteroffensive from the Ukrainians. You know, it was effectively a defensive manoeuvre. It is effectively a defensive manoeuvre to bring that forward and to uh, not wait until they control all the full territory of those four. Well, they have basically all of Luhansk, about yeah. 55% of Donetsk and about 40 and 40 of the of the other two or something. Well, like they that. have all almost all of Kherson. Well, all of Kherson, And yeah. most of Zaporizhia. No, but I think it's one of them's about... One of them's fifty something percent. I mean, that's Donetsk, actually. Ironically, right, it's right. the one place that Russia has already said we recognise as separate. Yeah. Um, but but to wait before we have control over those the administrative borders of those yeah. completely, we'll go ahead and, and you know make it a fact on the ground now, because yeah, because you know we allow for the fact that the the that offensive or what we talked about that last last week the. The Izium offensive that uh, was, was faded in the media um, repeatedly over and over again, um, where the Russians basically left that that this was uh, that this these referenda are a response to that basically that that had to be brought forward. Let's say, okay. Um, now it's just four regions. Yeah. Do you think this is Russia saying we'll stop here? This will be the only four. What about Kharkiv? What about Nikolaev? What about Odessa? Um, Odessa, I think, it's hard to know. Again, you don't know. Cause is that in the planning? You know, how, how long was this in the planning? Obviously, this was in the planning for a long time. They always had a plan to take all of Donetsk, all of Luhansk, and it's reasonable to assume those other two adjoining uh, oblasts. But um, is, 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 is Odessa in, on, on the cards? I mean, ask Putin. Um, <laughs> what do you call Czech... Uh, well, it's, it's like this. I mean, if you want the simple version of it... We could have another round of this later. Yeah. The simple version is, is this. I saw that before coming down. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Da. It's simple. Um, and Transnistria. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I think the main thing at this point is what, how, how the West is going to respond because obviously Russia, this isn't just an actual land grab, if you want to call it that, or the, the, the incorporation of these territories into uh, Russia. But it, as, as we know, it's, uh, and the Russians have stated that this is now, once this happens, this will be Russian territory. Uh, is that why this was important for them to get this? Because they don't, obviously don't care about international recognition. But these it's escalation Putin's for sure. always legalistic, and this seemed to be important to yeah. Well, it's legalistic. To say, oh, now you're right. on Russian land, so right. get out or right. else. Right, but that's I mean, Which you can justify as escalation of. Well, it is escalation by saying that by right. saying this is this is Russian land. So any more any more attacks uh, against this territory are attacks on Russia, which is very different from what it's been so far. Which is why it's been called a, a special operation. You know, it hasn't been a war. We weren't the Russians aren't waging haven't been waging war against Ukraine from their perspective, and certainly from a practical perspective, they haven't been waging war because they could do far more um, than they have been doing. Um, but this, you know, the question is how does the West, in particular, mainly the US, the Anglo-Americans, the, the Americans and the Brits, let's say, how do they respond to it? The, the statement that, listen, you're a party to the conflict. You're already a party to the conflict, but you've been a party to a conflict between Russia, with, you know, with Russia and Ukraine, in Ukraine. From now on, from next Tuesday, you'll actually be party to a conflict against Russia. You may as well be bombing Moscow that's the way we're going to look at it. Right. What do they do in response to that? 
That's the question we don't know. Right. I think it's, you know, obviously the Russians have been very restrained. Uh-huh. So I don't think all this talk of the scaremongering for the public about nuclear war and all that kind of stuff, which is, it's just that scaremongering. Yeah, even Jordan Peterson, he said, nah, yeah. response appears more. In. Exactly. We're not looking at nuclear arm again. Right. We're not. And, um, but it is, it's playing the game, basically. It's, it's you know, it's a strategy. It's move and counter move and all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, I, even if they do, the, the West may decide to disregard it, you know, uh, more or less, and just carry on. As carry if, on. As if, as if nothing has changed. And Russia... Sham may, democracy, right. sham referenda, so, so it's still Ukraine. Nothing. Right. It's still Ukraine as far as we're concerned, so we're going to carry on supplying Ukraine and helping Ukraine to actually fight this war. So the onus but, will still be on Russia to do, do the actual escalation. The legal escalation won't do anything. Probably to change. not. No. I mean, but it's, this is a legal escalation West, plus a partial mobilization. The West doesn't give much credit to international law, as we've seen, yeah. uh, particularly in Iraq and Libya and Syria. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, but Russia may, may scale it up. I mean, there's been talk of, obviously, three hundred extra 300,000 troops. I mean, again, people think... Not all of, sent to Ukraine, but no, to draw from. Yeah. Well, actually, to, to replace, to protect borders. Like it, It's interesting because those 300, if you look at it, the 300,000 extra troops called up, um, there's been some mention of 800 units of, of, of aviation, of aircraft, basically, of Russian Air Force aircraft brought t- closer, closer to the border of Ukraine. And... Um, if you look at it in terms of that that coming at the same time as the as a referenda, um, it sounds like a like they're preparing for an escalation. If you know what I mean for 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 something bigger happening for them. Yeah. Maybe, going on the offensive, you could call it maybe protecting those regions. But in order to protect those regions, are they going to have to do something a bit more serious to prevent the Ukrainian army from being able to? Attack them, you know what I mean? If I say, listen, don't do... Look, I've, I've set something in place now, and so you better not do anything. But if I believe that it's more than likely that you're going to ignore me and continue to do something, I need to have the means to stop you. Like you just said, they don't give... Like our, mm. we just said, they don't give much credit to any legality. So this is part of Russia now. Well, we don't give a shit. It's still part of Ukraine as far as we're concerned. Russians know that. So if Russia is going to enforce that, that, that threat... That new reality. That new reality. It's going to have to put some boots on the ground. Of course, a lot of those troops will... Are they're, 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 they're men who have, have had some uh, military training, like, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, I think everyone in Russia has. No, every male what has do you call to go that through term, some basic training. Uh, military, European countries used to have it. Um, Not a draft uh, military service. service. Military service. Yeah. Uh, nine months or a year yeah. military service or something. But they have to be trained. So it's going to take a few weeks to actually train those people because they're a bit rusty, obviously, and they have to be trained. They have to be... F- Shown how to which battalion they're going to, or what where they're going to, what they're going to do, uh, and, and, and train. Surely them. they so won't be on the front lines even no, after that training. I think a lot of well, they're the going to be at the back. Well, not even at the back, but along the borders. This is another aspect of the escalation. The old borders. No, the borders of Russia with Ukraine, the northern borders. The of new Russia. borders. Oh well, right, okay. The new partly, well, mainly the new borders, but the whole border of Russia with Ukraine. With Ukraine um, to protect that, because there's 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 troops all along the border with. Russia and Ukraine, and obviously there's connections there with Belarus as well and stuff. So um, they would probably be switched out with troops, more regular troops with more experience or more combat experience who are protecting borders. Now, bring them into the closer to the front line and put these some of these three hundred thousand into 
you know, easier positions, let's say, or safer mm. positions. But a lot of them also, they're not, they're not going to the front line. There's a lot of support roles and all that kind of stuff yeah. uh, that, that, that they have to. But yeah, it's a lot of people, like, and if it's, and again, it's going to take a few weeks before they start to be deployed, but what it actually means, if it is part of some big Russian offensive, uh, we don't know. But certainly, it's a lot more troops than they've had so far. Maybe five or six times as many troops as they've had in Ukraine so far. So it does suggest something. Is it just offensive or is it offensive? Mm. The media is obviously um, shitting all over these referenda, sham referenda, you know, people being forced to vote and stuff. Um, in reality, though, there are lots, there's no video of people refusing to or mass protest against or anything like that. Um, it's happening. There's a lot of footage of Ukrainians, Ukrainians, Russians, Russians trapped in Ukraine, mm. as Lavrov said. Well, yeah, they're leaving Ukraine and they're taking their lands with them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they are voting. Um, it's a simple yes or no, do you want to join Russia? The Ukrops, in turn, are targeting polling stations, of course, mm -hmm. those that are open, and journalists. Journalists and politicians. Did you see that they tried to take out uh, Murad Gadziev? No. The uh, RT journalist. Check this out. Um, I think it's a short report from him just after his his hotel room has been... Right, they bombed the hotel in... Uh, Kherson. Kherson. They... Yeah. Missile strike on a hotel in Kherson that was housing journalists and local administrators or MPs. Right. Um, so this is just after it happened. It's not too gruesome, but there's a guy, his camera, this is RT camera, trapped, trapped under rubble. He's okay, he makes it. Hmm. Okay, play this next one as well. It shows uh, uh, It's been about ten minutes. It's been about ten minutes. This is my room, and this room, this is closer to the impact site. We are told. Two people perished. Perished in there. But as you can see, it's worse down the corridor. There's a man. There's a man screaming for help. I believe an engineering worker who was who was sent here to help. This is this is my room. The walls are barely standing inside that's the bathroom wall and there's someone trapped in the next room so certainly a lot to get to at this point but we are told emergency services are already downstairs trying to help okay so that was early this morning um thankfully um murad is alive and okay um, cameraman's also okay, but there was a politician 
there was a guy um he is a Ukrainian MP or he was a Ukrainian MP in the Rada in Kiev until a few years ago. Um his name is so he was a member for Party of the Regions. Party of the Regions was the diplomatic term that the ethnic Russian majority in the East and South call themselves. Mm-hmm. I won't say we're the Russian party, but we're not also pro-Ukrainian. Anyway, this is the whole half of the country that would always vote for, you know, the Yanukovych's or people who are more neutral. So this is um, a report. The guy's disabled. You'll see that he's in a kind of a, a, a primitive wheelchair. His name is um, Alexei Zuravko, Z-H-U-R-A-V-K-O. This is him yesterday. Play it. I think he's he's speaking Russian. Um, he's going to register. He's going to vote. Дорогие друзья, я приехал в город Алёшки проголосовать, поставить свою галочку по поводу референдума. Вот мой паспорт украинский. Вот моё заявление. Вот я внесён. И вот теперь я поставлю галочку. Да. За вхождение. Да. We'll leave it there. So rest in peace, Alexei Zuravko, because he was in the room next to Murad Gaziv and the Russian team. He was killed in this mm-hmm. HIMARS strike this morning. They're thinking HIMARS because of how targeted it was. Um, this, is, no, this is something, this is common. This is... They are do they do and do you know do random shelling with MRLS you know grad missiles and stuff like that. But this was targeted. They wanted to kill him and probably Gazdiev as well. Um, it's just like bitter, mm-hmm. you know. They know who he is. He's ex Rada. Just kill him, you know. It, it, it's not gonna change anything. It's not gonna change anything. Um, yeah. So they've been doing that, you know, for the last eight years, haven't they? Obviously, it's just increased this year, targeting journalists and certain administrators. Other, like the head of the <clears throat> head of what, another region or a mayor or something, was assassinated in a car bomb last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll justify well, it's collaboration with the enemy, you know, the invader and stuff. But they know they already know that like the invaders too big to push out. Like, and those damn people are all Russians. They want to be with Russia, mm-hmm. so it's just spite. It's like, <clears throat> yeah. uh, absolutely, they don't want them expressing their 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 electoral rights, their voting right to, yeah, live in a country of their choosing. So, right. not allowed to. We'll kill them. Um, yeah, this is uh, Lavrov uh, at the UN. Just go to the very end. Uh, we'll put the link in the in the in the show show uh, description, but. Um, just go to the very end, because you would think he gave so he gave twenty four minute speech at the UN, and we kind of talked a little bit about what he said. Multipolarity, US, you know, can no longer sustain its hegemony. Basically, it's just not going to work, and it's resisting it, and there's not much we can do about it. But we're going to do something about it, us and our allies, blah blah blah. Um, but at the very end, you'd think he would at the UN, he'd be booed, right? right? And then that's the impression you get. But just go to the very end, like go to like whatever it is. Like uh, I'm talking about when he's finished his speech. Uh, Said, and I quote, the UN wasn't created to take mankind to paradise, well, but rather to save humanity from hell. These are very... T- 
have it in Resolution 1244 and a date and peaceful agreement. Madam President, at times like these, it's natural to seek wisdom from our predecessors. So in the mm. pithy expression of the former Secretary General Doug, Doug Hammarskjöld, who remembered the horrors of World War, he said, and I quote, the UN wasn't created to take mankind to paradise, but rather to save humanity from hell. These are very topical words. They call upon us to understand our individual and collective responsibility for creating conditions for a peaceful and harmonious development for our future generations. And everyone needs to show political will for that. When we are ready for such honest work and we are convinced that the stability of the world order can be ensured exclusively through returning to the origins of the UN diplomacy, basing ourselves on the key principle of true democracy, the respect for the sovereign equality of states. I thank you. Thank you. I thank you, Mr. Foreign Affairs of the Ooh. Russian Federation. Well, he, got the, he, got his, oh, he got almost as much applause as, as, as Biden. But of course, you know, um, the reporting on that by the media, you wouldn't wouldn't get that impression. Uh, but it's an interesting well, yeah. quote there from Doug Hammarskjöld that he was, he was and that he would cite. I mean, the Russians probably know yeah. what happened to him. It's yeah. Alan Dulles had him assassinated in Africa. Yeah, um, that the UN wasn't created to lead the world to paradise, but to to keep it from descending into hell, which is you know. Exactly true, exactly right, because basically there's no such thing, you know, there is no paradise as people envision it. Mm. Um, uh, the main thing of cooperation between people, given human nature, is to prevent things from taking a very bad turn for the worse. But it seems that people today are willfully encouraging things to take a turn for the worse. It's almost like they're bored or something and they want some kind of a, some kind of shit, hit the, shit to hit the fan. Uh, tired of all this talk on fear mongering just get on with it yeah um, yeah me too in some sense <laughs> I'm like just get on with it get the UN just ignore the UN in New York like move yeah. it to China already I mean something like depending on how you look at it because no one there's no one's ever taken a global poll but the lie that you're asked to believe is that the vast majority of the world thinks he's nuts right. and what planet is he living on in right. reality something like 80 and 90 percent of other countries support russia there's other photos as well lavrov was like before his speech people were the ambassadors and foreign ministers of other countries were queuing up to get autograph and photo taken with them mm -hmm. but that's yeah, yeah. the real world order but they have to go under the charade right. of going to new york and the American government goes, well, well, we let him in. We're not sure we're going to let you in because you're Russian. Mm. At the last second, okay, here's a visa. You can come and give your stupid talk, which we won't even show our population anyway mm -hmm. because you're evil Russian. So, like, let's just get it on with. Like, mm. move it. Yeah. Just ignore it. It shouldn't yeah, yeah. be in New York anymore at right. this point. That's obvious. Yeah. The U.S. is completely rogue. It's a it's rogue done. state. Just ignore. Move on. But yeah. And the, well, the important everything in its own time, I suppose. There's a lot, a lot of other steps to get yeah, to through first. Slowly, slowly. Um, yeah, the main thing about all this, but all about that, and and pretty much most of what we've been saying is that people, if you're if you're getting your information from the mainstream media only, you know, you're getting absolutely 
you're not only just getting one side of the story, but you're getting a very, very distorted uh, version, you know, that isn't based in fact. Uh, and if you're interested in facts, then you've got to do the, you got to assume, you can at this point assume that Western media, on particularly on everything that they report on in terms of their enemies, the people they perceive as their enemies, it's somewhere between 50% and 100% a lie. And if you want to know what the truth is, uh, you have to look beyond those headlines. You've got you to really check into it. But like I said, they don't, I don't think many people are that interested, you know. The vast majority of people aren't interested at all and are just absorbing their propaganda, depending on which country they live in. And then the, the small minority that are tweeting f- furiously on, on, on social media, etc., uh, they're, you know, most of them are, yeah, they're, they're propagandists, basically. Um, that yeah. don't care for facts or truth or anything like that. They're just um, partisan up the wazoo. They held a press conference after his speech. Zakharova, Maria Zakharova, mm. together with Lavrov. Um, I want to quote something from her. She says, remember, what Russia is doing now determines the future of mankind. Either we live free or we recognize ourselves as slaves in the colonies. Mm. This is very well understood on all continents. They all know what they're doing. They know what's going on. Oh, right. They know others know, but they know others are scared to say that they know right. what's going on. Others are waiting to see what happens. Yeah. You, get, you always have those people who in any conflict or yeah. ha- sitting around waiting to see who's going to win. In the end, this is the reason why the U.S. could enforce Pax Americana because certain types know that others want, need a leader, a patron, a big brother, or they're too scared not to, to try small. and live without one. So... Russia's messaging is all, don't we all want to be independent, sovereign states? And everyone goes, yeah. But in their back of their mind, yeah. they're going, I'm just, I can't do, I'm, I'm not, not good, good enough on my own. So they're waiting for Russia or to say, saying, here's an alternative patron for you. Right. Well, you have to show that you're You've got to show that, that you can capable, hold capable the big one over there. Exactly, the because that's what they're saying. Back. When the, when in, the, in response to the question of don't we all want to be independent, you know, free, independent, equal states, whatever, uh, they're like, yeah, but uh, that guy over there, he said he'd beat the shit out of me if I, <laughs> if I agreed with you, so I don't want to say anything. So it's can okay. you, like, put him down first, yeah. then I'll join you, yeah. hold your hands. Yeah. yeah, so you do that, and then I'll watch what happens, and, and, and then I'll decide who I want to be friends with. Anyway, uh, that's human nature. It's, it's, it's almost like human nature that you've seen play out among individuals, writ large, you know, on, 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 on a global scale, you know. Yeah. And it's not the best of humanity, let's say. Although, that's particularly in the West. Um, there are others being a bit more adult about the whole situation. Anyway, that's all I've got. You got anything more? Um, Lavrov in the same press conference. The European Union is sliding into dictatorship. I know dictatorship's a word that's thrown around all the time, but... Yeah. I think when he says it, he means it. And he has von der Leyen in mind, probably. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> All right. And last thing was Roger Waters, a Pink Floyd frontman, had right. to cancel his, cancel his concerts in Ukraine, or in Poland, because he wasn't fully behind, you know, Slava Ukraine. I've heard him speak since, and actually they cancelled it for him. Yeah, it was cancelled. He right. didn't cancel it. It was cancelled yeah, yeah. because, he, because he said some things that weren't Slava Ukraine. Um uh, we're actually telling the truth about the situation. Uh, the Pol- some Polish, uh, probably the government or something, said, yeah, we don't want you here. That's how mature 
these people are. Anyway, um, yeah. So we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Um, thanks for commenting. Hope you well. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for commenting uh, and chatting and watching. Of course, um, don't forget to smash all the buttons, whatever they are. And we'll be back next week with another show. So until then, have a good one. Thanks for watching. See you next week. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.